development partners commit over $30 billion to boost food production in Africa. Good morning, Africa, and welcome aboard your pulse on everything business in Africa. I am Ritha Dong. For more, follow us on Twitter at the K Financial, and you can find me at Ritha Dong. Your main story is brought to you by INM Bank PLC, INM Bank Rwanda. We are on your side. South Sudan has one of the globe's lowest rate of financial inclusion, and a number of ways have been explored to ensure more people are not only part of the money economy, but are actively involved in it. In today's episode, we talk to Kushbank's acting CEO, Ryan O'Grady, on its move to remove fees on all deposits and withdrawals in the country and its impact on financial inclusion. In late 2022, we at Kushbank did what everyone said was unthinkable. We abolished the deposit and withdrawal fees that seemed universally hated here in South Sudan. This was uh, between 3 and 5% that was charged on everything coming into the bank from a client account. To me, as a banker, I classified this as lazy banking. And we owe the people of this nation a better approach and a more inclusive strategy to financial services. Now, having said this is lazy banking, I fully recognize that national banks have had a difficult run in South Sudan. Everyone came in with an initial frenzy at the creation of the country. Then we went through a period of crash and crisis a few years back. And now we're into a period that that I'm calling a a transition from humanitarian to development. And and that's requiring us to take a a different approach uh, to how we're banking and and how we're, we're conducting ourselves across the sector. One of the key factors to preventing financial inclusion has been related to the entry points for an average customer that has centered around a cost of doing business issue. Uh, the the adage goes that you know we we live in a country and we work in a country where the cost of doing business is you know significantly higher than our our other markets that surround us. And to an extent, yes, that that is true. But it's also incumbent upon us as business owners and as operators, particularly in the financial services sector, to look at how we need to do business differently, to manage those costs differently, and in this case, to create different pathways for the flow of capital to increase liquidity. Uh, within the local communities that we serve and and move money in, in different ways. So in terms of a financial inclusion uh, perspective, we at Cush see it clearly. Number one is the issue of fees. How is the average mother operating her shop supposed to part with, say, 3 to 4% of her gross income to the bank? That's before she conducts any transactions with us, before she moves that money or anything else, just for the privilege of depositing it we're going to take 3 to 4%. That's unacceptable. This is in a country with an already you know, low threshold uh, for, for income and a country where the majority of households are women-led, meaning that we, we have to look at these products and services through several lenses, particularly when it comes to financial inclusion. So it's incumbent upon us in the banking community to look at this barrier of fees and then look at our core business to determine what levers we can pull to replace that income on our balance sheet that we would earn from fees. And that's what we've done at Cush. You know, if, if we're replacing fees, we're driving people to make use of our services, we're removing a barrier, and we're moving a risk from them. Uh, no one wants to part with that amount of money, so therefore they're going to hold on to their money. They're going to transfer that money in less safe, less secure ways. Uh, they're going to run higher risks as a result. So what we've done at Cush is we've rebalanced the the nature of our work. We're focusing more on lending. We're focusing more on trade finance. We're looking at financial solutions that are geared to two groups in particular, 
women in business, and youth-led business, because both of those demographics are at the highest levels in South Sudan. So as a national bank, that's where our priority has to be. And we can't talk about financial inclusion unless we're designing and executing on programs and services that are geared towards those who need them most. And, and that's an excellent example of, of areas uh, that we're hitting back in. So we, we see that to drive financial inclusion in South Sudan, we need to look at a combination of factors. And there's three of those, uh, in our opinion, at Cush Bank. One is barrier to entry. So that's fees, accessibility to services. The second, trust. The third, education. So on these three areas, we at Cush Bank have been very focused on, first, ending these punitive fees. We want to promote easier access. We want to ensure accessibility in our branches by going paperless. We want to ensure that we're training our staff to be collaborative in their approach with our client. You know, it's a problem-solving approach that we're taking rather than an adversarial pitch at the bank wicket. We want to be here and live up to our motto that we're a trusted partner. Uh, in the financial journey. And that means the role that my team and I uh, should be undertaking is to facilitate the needs of our client. So looking at issues like accessibility, in my first week as CEO, I stood in one of our branches and I watched an older gentleman who obviously had challenges with understanding the, the paperwork, the deposit slips that were being put in front of him. I watched him get returned to the back of the line three times without an understanding of what was happening. And it really crystallized that we have to approach these issues differently. Traditional solutions aren't cutting it in terms of overcoming the barriers to financial inclusion. So from that day forward, we started looking at, as a bank, how do we break down those barriers to inclusion? So now you walk into our bank, you walk up to the wicket, and you tell the, 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 the customer service representative, this is what I need to do today. You present your identification, you get verified, and we do the paperwork for you. We send it back to you across the desk. You sign it, and we move forward. So we've we've tried to take some of the fear, some of the unknown, and ultimately those barriers uh, out of the equation. On the issue of trust, it's critical that we continue to build the relationship with the population across South Sudan to build basic trust. Uh, in my view, the banking sector in this country has failed at this in the past. And too many banks have literally failed. Others have contracted, rightfully so, due to economic and security conditions. But to the average person, they don't understand this. All they see is banks that are either inaccessible or they go in to get their money. They can't get their money. Uh, or banks that, you know, aren't breaking down uh, the, the barriers and breaking down the communication barriers that exist to ensure that a level playing field is there where our clients whom we are supposed to be serving, truly understand the products, the services that are being offered. So we've done a lot of work, particularly at a staff level, on the level of education and training, customer service approach, product training, to drive a new era of understanding in this regard. A quick review of the other stories making it into the podcast. Development partners have committed $30 billion to boost food production in Africa over the next five years. This is according to the president of the African Development Bank at the close of a summit on food security on the continent. The continent is facing its worst food crisis ever with more than one in five Africans, a record 278 million people facing hunger, according to United Nations estimates. 
A major theme of the three-day summit in the Senegalese capital, Dakar, was that African countries need to boost their food production capacity rather than relying on imports that have left them vulnerable to price spikes and shortages. The meeting brought together African leaders, development banks, and international partners, including the United States, the European Union, and Britain, to mobilize funding and political commitment. Around 40 countries from across the continent presented agriculture development plans to the bank and other partners who pledged support for the plants over the next five years to enable the country's increase food production. Heavy debt burdens from COVID-19 pandemic and the war in Ukraine, which raised prices of fuel, grain and edible oils, have added to long-term causes of food insecurity, such as climate change and conflict. The Ukrainian war also disrupted supply of fertilizers to the continent, pushing prices beyond the reach of farmers. East African Bureau's Limited reported a 4% growth in its net sales to record 57.3 billion Kenya shillings for the half year ended December 31st, 2022. During this period, the group volumes declined by 4% year on year as price increases impacted consumer purchasing patterns, mainly in mainstream and value segments. The drop was attributed to the imposition of excise tax for beer and spirits media in Kenya and a tough macroeconomic volatility in drought situation across East Africa, global inflation and geopolitical disruptions related to the Russia-Ukraine war. In July 2022, Kenya's excise tax for beer and spirits came to effect following the 2022-2023 budget, increasing by 10% and 20% respectively. In October 2022, beer and spirits consumers were hit by a further 6.3% excise tax increase in the form of annual inflationary adjustment. These increases came on the back of an annual upward excise adjustment in 2021, leading to a compounded annual excise tax increase of 23% for beer and 34% for spirits. Consequently, beer volumes were down 13% in Kenya, with performance further undermined by reemergence of illicit alcohol during the period under review. As a result, EABL's net sales growth regressed by 1% in Kenya, its largest market, while Uganda and Tanzania grew by 19% and 11%, respectively. Prices of grains, especially wheat, will remain high, but not on the levels that were reached last year, according to a Commodity Outlook report. The report by Research and Analysis Group Economic Intelligence Unit notes that despite the recent ease in prices in the face of slowing demand, limited increase in supply will keep prices high. The report says, Prices will also continue to be influenced by events in the Black Sea region following the recent obstructions that continue to disrupt grain exports from Ukraine, a critical supplier of grains, oil seeds, and vegetable oil. Prices of energy commodities, most base metals, and several agricultural commodities surged in 2021 and then again after the onset of the war in Ukraine in February 2022. However, various economic recovery measures put in place last year and the easing of global supply constraints along with increasing production of agricultural commodities expected to lower foodstuff index this year. A food, feedstuff and beverages index are projected to drop by about 9% this year. Thank you for always waking up with us from over 700 cities and 112 countries. Good Morning Africa is a product of AK Financial. If you have any suggestions or you just want to check out more stories, visit the website. That is akfinancial.com. And don't forget to subscribe. You can also find us on all social media platforms at AK Financial. And you can find me at Withadon.